How are you all doing? I like your worship. That is good. I haven't seen you yet. I love Benito and his family. They are really super people. I love them so much. This is my vacation. I'm out here on my vacation speaking. Uh, so I was telling the first service this morning, someone was, I was sharing this story with somebody the other day. See, when you come in here, you know you just want to worship. You know what to do. I mean, the Holy Spirit draws you. Uh, someone was telling me a story about a guy who went to the evangelistic field, and he was in a country where they didn't speak English. And so he went and sat in the front row, and he thought, what do I do? I'll just do what the guy next to me does. So when that guy raises hands, he raises hands. And when that guy clapped, he clapped. And they'd do announcements, the guy would clap, so he would clap. And so he just kept watching him, and pretty soon uh, the announcer was saying something, and this guy stood up and did this, and so he said, I'll do the same. He stood up and did like this, and that's when his interpreter came running up the aisle and grabbed him. He said, sit down. They just asked if the father of the new father of Jose Gomez would stand. <laughs> you know what to do when you come in here. No doubts about it. Well, Benito uh, came out a year or two ago on a replenished trip. We, we have the privilege of discipling pastors from all over the United States. And they come to the church ranch, and we spend two or three days there and pour our lives into one another. And I'll talk more about that in my sermon, but uh, I just kind of bonded with Benito. Pastor Benito and, and his family. I brag on you all the time. I, I tell everybody, you ought to meet his wife and his kids. They are so cool. And so... Anyway, uh, they brought me donuts, and that's a no-no. Man, I'll tell you, I have so many donut stories. I actually sometimes go into a store and just stare at them. My wife said, don't eat them. You'll be sorry. You'll be sorry. I, said, I just looked at them, Debbie. I mean, this is serious. You'll find me in the donut aisle a lot of just staring at the Krispy Kremes. But I know I can't because I'll be mad at myself later. I could live on donuts and Taco Bell. Those two things I could live on. So, uh, were you telling me about the t-shirt? I'm going to get some of these t-shirts. The house that built me. Were you telling me about that? Somebody told me. There's a Christian t-shirt. I'm going to get them made for our church. The house that built me, VBF. That's pretty cool. Okay, let's pray. Let's talk. I'm going to watch the clock there because I don't want to preach you to death. I told the first service this one guy was, was, was always long-winded, and so he'd put a cert in his mouth, and, and when it melted, he would stop preaching. And one day, he was in a rush and reached into his pocket and got a button out and put it in there and preached them to death. <laughs> they didn't get to go eat, sleep, nothing. He just kept preaching. True story. <laughs> Father God, bless this. Bless it. That means make more out of it than what it would be otherwise. In Jesus' name, amen. So be it. I want to talk to you today about the power of one person. The power of one. Before I do, I want to introduce to you where this came from. We just finished a series in California in the book of Jonah. Now, a lot of people find that book to be a little fishy. They find it hard to swallow. But I believe it's real. I believe with all of my heart that's a real story. Someone said, it's got to be fabricated. A big fish swallows a man. Yeah, right. Hey, how many of you think that God is bigger than Steven Spielberg? He can create a fish to swallow you. He can make it happen. It's called a miracle. Now, quick recap. Jonah was a real prophet. Did you know that? A real, look at 2 Kings 14, 25. 
It says, he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Labo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. That's the Jonah in the book. He came after Elijah and Elisha. So he was a real man. He wasn't a, a made up figure. And most of you know the story by heart. God calls him to preach to this pagan people called the Ninevites. And he disobeys, gets on a boat going to Tarshish. God brings a big fish around, and the fish swallows him. And while he's in the belly of the fish, he repents. Hello, can we stop right here? Somebody in here in the belly of a fish today? It's time to repent. He repented, and then he sacrificed praise from the belly of the fish. You know, I don't think the church knows a whole lot about praise. Praise is one of the most powerful forces in the universe. God inhabits the praises of his children. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas were praising the Lord in a prison, and God sent an earthquake, got them out. If you ever get a chance to read, these are old books that they printed years ago, Merlin Carruthers, Power and Praise and Prison and Praise. And in these books, Merlin Carruthers talks about the power of praise and how that through his lifetime, people would come up after church and go, you know what, my daughter's a stripper in New York, and she, the lady's crying and going, God's got to save her, I don't know what to do. And he stops her in the middle of a sentence and says, I want you to praise God right now that she's right where she's at, and he knows where she's at, and he can get her when he wants her. Start praising God. And he gives all these stories of people who start praising God in the midst of trials, and their trials changed. The second thing I'm going to say real quickly that will change this congregation, that is praise and worship isn't about you. It's not about you. I'm telling you, the devil is the condemner of people. And on the way to church, you'll hear the devil say, you know what, you are so dirty. You know what you did last night. You know what you said to your wife this morning. You know what you said to your husband. You're dirty, dirty, dirty. And you'll come to church, it'll be time to worship, and you feel dirty and you feel guilty. And I say to the people, take those little dirty, filthy hands and raise them up and praise God because it's not about you. It's about him. It's about him. I'm dirty, but you're good. You're God. You're God. Remember those old mafia movies where the mafia guy comes in, he's been killing people and stealing lion, but he comes in and pays homage to God. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we, it's not about us. Say, look at your neighbor and say, it's not about us. It's about him. See, I'm telling you. any rate, let's go back to the story. God has this fish swallowing. And this fish pulls up to the shore and regurgitates and vomits Jonah up onto the seashore. Now, there had to be some people down on that seashore that day. And they saw it happen. I think they did because I think that's why they repented so quickly in the story. Now, I want you to see something here. This is really important. God always has a reason for the season. Always has a reason for the season. Some years ago, it changed my life. It was a defining moment. I was going to do a Christmas uh, sermon, and I went to God, and I said, God, I, I, it's always bothered me that your son was born in a, in a sheepfold, in some, some, you know, stable somewhere. That bothers me, and I don't know why it does, but he was your son, the king of kings. He could have been born in a hotel. That part of the story's always bugged me, and I went to God, and I asked him, can you, can you speak to me because it's bugging me? And oh, did he ever. Now, it's on the Internet, but I never heard a pastor preach it. 
There's a place called Migdal Eder. In Genesis 35, 21, it says, Then Israel journeyed on and pitched a tent at Migdal Eder. This is really important. There's a real place called Migdal Eder, and it's, in, it's right outside of Bethlehem, right out of Jerusalem. And I did some study on Migdal Eder. Migdal Eder is a, a sheepfold where they only did one thing in particular, and this is the only one in, in the Middle East. They only raised lambs for sacrificial sacrifice in the temple. That's all they did. And this is historical. Now, in those days, they would usually always build a tower, and you'll see them when you go to Israel in a lot of sheepfold places. They'll build towers where they, they have the sheep at. And those towers serve two or three reasons or purposes. If the shepherd thinks there's danger, he can go up top of the tower, he can look out and see wolves or, or bad people coming. And then also, it provides shelter for the sheep when it's raining in bad weather. And this particular tower was what really well known in the Bible called Migdal Eater. So think about it. They only raised sacrificial lambs for temple sacrifice. And when they would raise these lambs when they were born, they would wrap them in swaddling clothes. Because remember, if you read your Bible, the lambs that were sacrificed in the temple couldn't have any scratches on them, any, 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 kind, of, any kind of any blemishes. Now, Jesus, our Savior, was born in McDowell Eater. And it didn't, I don't think, register to anybody till later on after he had resurrected and he's the Lamb of God that he'll go, oh my gosh, that was the reason he was born there and wrapped in swaddling clothes because he was to be the sacrificial lamb of all time. Wow. And I saw that and I went, oh my gosh. I was so excited to get in the pulpit that Sunday. I probably preached for an hour and a half. I was so <laughs> excited about this. Uh, see, I was going to bring the sermon today and I didn't. This one sermon has changed my life more than any sermon I've ever preached. And it's called, Why Not? Why Not? God gave this to me in my sleep one night. Why not? And that is, why not pray certain prayers? Why not go up to your enemies and say, I love you? Why not? And it's, it's all the time, I'll be going to do something, and God will say, why not do it? What will it hurt? Uh, for example, today when I left the hotel, why not? I took all the change in my pocket and I stacked it up and I took some dollar bills out and I put it uh, on the table there and then I wrote a note to the maid and I said, I'm sorry for the change, but that's all I had. I said, but God loves you so much and he wants me to tell you that you're to bring your problems to him. Pastor Ron at VBF.org. Why not? What does it hurt? There's so many things we can have that. Why not? Oh, I'll have to come back and teach that because it's crazy. But in our text, why a fish? I'll tell you why a fish. The Ninevites worshipped the heathen god, Dagon, who was half fish, half human, and Nansh, who was the, the fish goddess. Uh, that's who they worshipped. That's one, one of their main gods. So now put two and two together. How else could God reach them in a better way? Some fishermen and people are down the beach and see a fish come and throw this guy up. Now they really believe he's from God. They go, this is definitely God. Our fish goddess just threw him up on the shore. And so when you see this stuff, you go, oh, my goodness, the Bible is so rich. It's so rich. One of my favorite verses is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean into your own understanding. That part I like okay, but the second part I really like. Acknowledge God 
in all your ways, and then your paths will be straight. Some of you don't have straight paths today because you're not acknowledging God in all your ways. The church laughs at me in California and Vegas because I attribute almost everything to God. I mean, almost everything to God. And maybe even stuff he doesn't do, I attribute to him. And I go, whoa, it's a God story, you know. And uh, so you're here today. Acknowledge God that he wanted you here. Now, I don't know if it's for anybody here, but I pray God would wake some people up supernaturally this morning and put a desire in their heart to be here. Maybe it's the first service more than this service. But do you acknowledge that God knew you would be sitting here 20 million years ago listening to this sermon. Look at Philippians 2.13, marvelous verse. It says, for it's God who works in you to make you will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Look at the Greek word for to will. It's thalo in the Greek, and it means to will, to make a determination, to choose to be, it should be to be conclusive and to have in mind. It is God who put the desire in your heart to come here today. You wouldn't have wanted to come here naturally to hear some half Italian Oki yell at you. That's beyond you. And it's God who puts desires in your heart. And, and, and he puts desires in your heart and he gives you faith that goes with those desires and you're to live by that. The just shall live by faith is one of the craziest ideas I've ever heard. You shall live by the faith in your heart. And I said it before probably when I was here, but I'll say it again. If you live by faith, you will do things that you would not ordinarily do to get things you would not ordinarily get. By faith, I went and started this church in Vegas 15 years ago. Now it's a mega church. And I look around and I go... Faith causes you to do things you wouldn't ordinarily do to get things you would not ordinarily get. And worry will do just the opposite. Worry will cause you to do things you wouldn't ordinarily do to get things you don't ordinarily get. I'm telling you, it's crazy. Now, listen to me closely because I got to watch that clock and be very careful. I don't know if I went over first service or not. I was trying to be careful. Was that okay? Okay. Okay, I, I won't do that, but thank you anyway. Uh, God's always putting desires in our heart all the time. And those who walk in the Spirit know when those desires are from God. It's said right there, he's always working. That's ongoing to make you will and make you want to do things. When I heard the, the replenish group was coming, the one that Benito was in, Rod called me when he asked, is everybody coming? He said, everybody except a guy named Benito. I don't think he's coming. And I went home, and I started praying. I went back, and I said, Rod, this guy's got to be here. I've never done this since. I said, Benito's got to be here. And I said, I'll tell you what. Call and tell him I'm paying his way. I'm paying all his expenses, everything. Just get here. And so Rod called me and said, he's on his way. I said, okay, this guy's got to be here. I don't know why. He's special, Rod. He's got to be here. And I told Rod, when this crew come, you didn't know, but I got him behind. I said, I'm bonded with this guy more than any guy you brought so far, I think. I like this guy. What was it? It was God doing something in our heart. The just shall live by faith. What is faith? It's the assurance and conviction that's in your heart of things you don't see. I got a man that's, Pastor Jim Cruz is with me and also Arnie Kirschman, who is a farmer in California. 
And this is a true story. I mean, these stories, I know, we're writing a book right now, me and Pastor Rod, called God Stories. It'll be three editions. And I mean, listen to me real closely. Some of you, you're not going to jive with me because I live a Christianity that a lot of people don't understand. I don't know any other kind of Christianity. I walk with God and I see signs and wonders all the time. I just don't know any better. It's all I know. But uh, my friend here, uh, he, he, I didn't know all the story till later, but one day I'm on the way to a Sunday night service. And our Sunday night services are not real large, maybe 350 people there and not real big. And uh, we're doing something called Afterglow where we hear the Spirit. And so I'm on the way to church. My wife's driving, and I said, Debbie, God just talked to me. He told me I have a word for Arnie tonight. And I said, Debbie, I don't know any living person named Arnie. Not a single person. That's just a different name to me. Why, God, why couldn't you say Joe or Johnny or Peter? Why'd you have to say Arnie? There ain't going to be no Arnie there. And I thought, but there has to be. And so I go to the service in the middle. I go, okay, Arnie, I've got a word for you. I don't know where you're at, uh, but God said Arnie's here tonight. It was his first night of Sunday night service with his son, Gunter. And he goes, did he just say Arnie? And he said, later I said, come on, this was a setup. Tell me this wasn't a setup. Wasn't a setup. God said, say it. I said it. And really, honestly, this sounds kind of weird, but in 40-some years, I've never known God to be wrong one time. And we've done, Not one time. There'll be times I'll come and say, one more piece needs to be, two more people need to be saved today. And I'm going to sit down here, and I'm not leaving until they get saved, and they do every single time. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I gave an altar call the other day, and I thought they, it was a dismissal. Like 80 people come, and I go, did I dismiss or something? They just kept coming and coming and coming. You just never know. And so, I'm telling you, we got to live by faith. Live by faith. Now, again, let me point out to you real briefly. Number one, Jonah already knew what God was going to do. He already knew. He didn't like what he was going to do, but he already knew what he was going to do. Look at Jonah 4 and 2. If you have it, you didn't have it. Okay, you got it. He prayed to the Lord. They said, isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still in, 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 at home, that's what I tried to, to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. And he goes on to say, he said, I knew that you're a compassionate God. I knew you're long-suffering. And I knew that I knew that I knew that you were going to forgive these people. I just know that's the kind of God you are. Now, a lot of you, that doesn't jive with you, does it? He, that was the guy in the Old Testament that knew the God of the Old Testament to be a very loving God. He said, I knew it. I knew it. I, that's my expectations. Can I tell you something that's really going to minister to some of you? Your expectations determine your peace in life. You didn't know that, did you? I mean, a lot of marriages are, are in, in, in trouble today because people have the wrong expectations when they go into marriage. And you don't have peace when you have the wrong expectations. Your expectations determine your peace. I heard a pastor the other day say, he said, I just got back from New York and I was in a taxi cab and the taxi cab had a fender banger with another taxi cab. And he says, do you want to guess what the taxi cab drivers did when they hit each other? And somebody said, well, they probably cussed each other out or they probably yelled and screamed. He said, no, they did nothing. Why? Because in New York, taxi cab drivers expect to have finger, fender bangers. So he did nothing. 
your expectations. See, marriage, God brings one sinner together with another sinner and puts them under the same roof and says, now work it out. <laughs> See, one of God's main purposes for marriage is for us to be sandpaper for one another. He doesn't want to take the problems out of your marriage. He wants to use each one to make the other person call upon God. <laughs> help me, God, help me. So don't divorce them, change. I expect to understand the Old Testament. You'll never expect to understand the Old Testament, why, why God said go kill them and go do this or that. So my expectations determine my peace. Now, Jonah's message is only eight words long. But it was enough under the anointing of God to change a whole city. It shook their world. See, God doesn't need a lot of words when they're anointed. When your words are anointed, it'll shake the foundation when they're anointed. I was telling somebody a story the other day, and it just reminded me of it. But a while back here, I went into a convenience store. And see, I have this value. My value is I will never turn anybody down that wants food. Or what? Never. I won't turn them down. But I'll never give them money. I usually take them and buy the food, buy the water, tear up the receipt so they can't return it. And I was really in a rush this day. I was late for an appointment. There was a big guy out there. And he says, man, I need, I need some food, man. I'm hungry. I need some food. And I, I, my conscience was getting me. And I thought, but I don't have time to go and buy it for him. I'm already late. So I pulled in my pocket and got $20 out. And I said, okay, listen to me. I'm going to give you money. I don't normally do this. But tell me, right, you will not spend this on drugs and alcohol. Is that right? He said, I won't. I said, okay. I started to walk away. I thought, no, I'm not good enough. I said, I'm going to pray a prayer over you. I said, Father God, if this man spends this on drugs and alcohol, cause a massive heart attack from heaven to come and kill him on the spot. <laughs> Honest to God, he gave me the money back. <laughs> he gave it back to me. He was raised in a Christian home or something. He knew the power of God. A lot of words don't have to be used. See, I really admire people sometimes that come up and say something under the anointing with no buts. I hate buts. I like some buts. Some buts I don't. I like the buts in the Bible, right? This happened, but God, but God, you know, those kind of buts. Get your mind out of the gutter. But when someone comes up, I've heard it before. Like I'll be in a counseling situation, and it's a bad situation, and the guy will look over at the woman and go, forgive me, I'm a jerk. That's all he says, no buts. I go, that's powerful. I love you. Oh, I need you. No, nothing more on it, just that. Look at somebody and say, I really need you. And you just leave it there and let God do the rest. Now, let's spend the last few minutes talking about the power of one. Helen Keller said, I'm only one. Still, I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can still do something. And because I can't do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. Here are some huge things that one person can do. Number one, one person can bring salvation to the lost, confused, and the hurting. Romans 10, 1 through 3. It says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. 
Since they did not know the righteousness of God, they sought to establish their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. You have verse 13, 15. Might not, he didn't have it the first service. Basically, it just goes on and talks about how people get saved and how you bring salvation to lost people. I was raised in a quote-unquote Christian home. My dad was a hypocrite. My dad occasionally would volunteer at the church. and He would sometimes even preach as a lay preacher. He would preach fire and brimstone. He would yell and scream and everything and do this thing. And he's supposed to be this good Christian man on the church board and stuff. And then he would yell at me and hit me in front of my friends and do all this stuff. And I despised Christianity. As this Christianity, I don't want any part of it. I mean, I hated it. And, and my dad would do these things. And in fact, uh, until three or four or five years ago, my wife stopped me. I would go around the house sometimes. I'd go, you are such an idiot, Ron. You're stupid, Ron. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. And one day, Debbie says, Ron, that's what your dad said to you. And you're still saying it. Parents, it's a huge thing to raise children. Oh, my gosh. What you do good goes on, and the bad does. And you have to be so careful. And so... I was raised in a, in a very hypocritical home. And so one day I had this first day on this job. It was a new job within the same company. But I, I went out the back to load a, tru load a truck. This truck driver came in and he says, hey, this is my first day here. How do we unload this truck? I said, well, this is my first day. And he said, okay, we'll find a way. And he goes up and starts throwing boxes around, singing these gospel hymns. Praise the Lord. And I go, oh, crapola. That's a Greek word for bad. I go, <laughs> crapola. I got to be stuck with this holy roller today? He said, hey, you a Christian? I said, no, and I don't want to be. All right? I like sin. That's what I like to do. And this guy started talking to me. Finally, he looks at me. He says, you know what? His name was Bob Hensley. He said, I'm a Christian, and God sent me here. And I'm going to pray for you and fast for you until you get saved. And it won't be long because I like to eat. <laughs> and that was my salvation. A man who took time out. And it breaks my heart because I tried. I didn't know where he went to. For years I've looked for him. And I just found him last year. But he died. I wanted to tell him, look at what your fruit is. You led me to the Lord. He wasn't too busy. I'm telling you. D.L. Moody was one of the greatest evangelists of all time. But maybe you haven't heard of Mr. Kimball. Mr. Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. But he never could reach him because he was just coming in and out. And one day, Mr. Kimball had such a burden for D.L. Moody that it says, because he worked at a boot store in Boston, his uncle's uh, company. And D.L. Moody is a young man, worked there. And so this Kimball one day, Mr. Kimball, he said, you know, I've got to go leading the Lord today. I've got to tell him about Jesus. And he said, I was so scared. I've never done anything like that. And I paced back and forth, back and forth. I couldn't get up enough nerve to go in. And if I did go in, what if the other kids laughed at him? Or what if he laughed at me? And finally said, I took a deep breath, went in. I don't even know what I said. But I led him to the Lord. The power of one man. You never heard of Mr. Kimball, but you've heard of D.L. Moody. What if Bob Hensley was too busy to talk to me? The power of one man. Now I get this rare privilege of ministering to thousands because one man took time out, wasn't too busy for me. Hume Lake, I was up there. If you remember Hume Lake, it's like the 
best camp in the United States. It's huge and it's so fantastic. And I was up there giving my God stories and they were sharing their God stories with me. And one of them I remembered, they said at Hume Lake, this big gospel Christian camp. They said one day a man, a foreign guy, a foreigner guy, came over into the store and said, I'd like to buy some beer. And they said, we're a Christian camp. We don't sell beer. We don't sell it. And they said, okay, thank you. He started leaving. One of the other guys that works there come out behind the counter and he says, but we sell Jesus and we give him away free. Have you ever heard about the gospel? He said, no. And he sat down. They explained the gospel to him. And the guy accepted the Lord. And he left. And for a decade or two, they never heard anything about it. They just, that was just a little story. And one day they were sharing the story just nonchalantly. And somebody came up and said, you do know the end of that story, don't you? He said, no. He said, you don't know the end of it? That guy went back home to his native land, led his whole family to the Lord. His son now pastors a mega church that has spawned all these other churches, and thousands and thousands have been saved because of one man in a grocery store, a little market, that went over and said, hey, have you ever heard the gospel? I'm telling you, gang, it's so easy Bring salvation to the lost hurting. Number two, and I'm watching the clock. They got a big one up there for me. They must know me. <laughs> Number two, plant, one person can plant spiritual seeds in the hearts of others. One person. See, you don't understand this. Give God something to bless. You know what the word bless means? It, makes, it means make more out of something than what it is. Make more out of something than what it is. Give God something to bless. Plant seeds in people's hearts so God has something to bless. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, 8. I don't know if we have it or not. I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is, is anything, but only God who makes things grow. That's what he does. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they'll be rewarded according to their own labor. Now, plant seeds. If you've ever read or heard the story of Nicky Cruz, Nicky Cruz was a gangster in New York who killed people. Man, one of the meanest gangsters that ever lived. And Dave Wilkerson went to him, and he only said one phrase to him over and over again. He said, Nicky Cruz, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. And when Nicky tells a story, he said, at night I would try to put a pill over my head. All I would hear was, Nicky, Jesus loves you, Nicky, Jesus loves you. See, God was making the seed grow. Now, uh, I went to make a hospital call a few years ago, and I might have told you this story, but I was going to make a hospital call, and uh, I went to go in the hospital, the parking lot, and some guy comes up, and he goes, uh, hey, man, so can you give me some money? I got to make my way back to Lodi, and, and I said, you want money? And I was kind of, you know, uh, confronting him, and some lady through the parking lot, she stopped because she thought that he was going to hurt me, and so she was hiding behind the car, and I said, you know, you know what? I don't usually give you guys money. You know why? Because most of you are users, and you spend it on drugs and alcohol, so I don't normally give money because a lot of you guys lie too, and I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm a Christian. I'll pray with you, and unless God tells me, you're not getting any money. He said, well, I'm a Christian too. I said, oh, yeah, all right, whatever. Took his hat off. I said, let's pray. And I said, Lord God, unless you give me a sign, I'm not giving this guy any money at all. In Jesus' name, amen. He put his hat back on. He said, well, thank you. My name's Dwayne John, John or whatever. And I said, yeah, my name's Ron Vietti. And he goes, Ron Vietti? You're Ron Vietti? Ah, I started crying. He grabbed me. It was crying tears all over me. He said, I found your, somebody gave me your book in prison, and that's how I got saved and came to know Jesus. He got $100. <laughs> he got $100. But the fact is, 
Somebody gave him a book. Somebody, see, uh, my friends, I have friends who have New York best-selling books on the be New York bestseller list. Mine's just the best in prisons. <laughs> That's as high as I can go. Chaplain told me, they said, you know what? Books in prison, they get them, they share them. They don't share yours. They take it with them. And that's because I don't know how to write very. I'm just, you know, whatever. But uh, See, we ought to be going around as undercover agents, sticking magazines in doctor's offices and, you know, sticking see Christian books into the library, you know, donating. Nothing wrong with that, is there? I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> as usual, every time we fly anywhere, we pray. And on the way to the airport, I prayed again with three guys. There's three of us. And I said, Lord, you know, put us wherever you want to put us. And range circumstance. I always I have so many God stories about flying and about you know getting haircuts because in both cases nobody can go anywhere. They're stuck. And so oh, the last time I flew, it was crazy. I sit in the middle row and I hated middle. It was so crazy. You, you got to laugh at yourself sometimes. Last trip we were going to fly. We we're on the way to the airport and I prayed. I said, God, feel free to change our tickets, our seats. You can change them. You put us wherever you want us, man. And then we got to the airport. And I thought we were going to sit together, and we did. And I go, what's, what? we're supposed to sit together. What? I don't understand. And somebody said, what did you pray? I said, oh, yeah. I prayed wherever, didn't I? And I got a middle seat. I hate middle seats. And I'm sitting there as two guys in there. By the time the plane ends, I mean, God had this so designed. A guy I'm discipling sitting right in front of me. And before the plane ends, I'm leading both these guys to the Lord almost. I'm ministering to this one. I go to this one. I go to this one. I go to this one. It was crazy. One guy said, you're a Christian, huh? See, you're reading your Bible. See, when I get on a plane, I just go, okay. I take my Bible out at some point. I go, let the show begin. <laughs> and, and I'll start circling stuff. And I see him doing this. It's, it's just God. And so this guy's, so you're a Christian? I said, yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? And we started talking. He's, man, I like you. I'm going to send a donation to your church. This other guy's quiet. And I say, hey, how are you? What's your name? He's, man, my wife just left me. I'm in the service. And before, I mean, I was just, oh, man. Well, this trip here, it was crazy because we get on the plane, and it's me and Pastor Jim and Arnie. And it's southwest, so you got to choose your seats. And uh, we, uh, i got to figure this time out, 11, 12, okay. Uh, and so lo and behold, uh, we have one row, and it's empty, and we're all going to sit there. We thought, maybe not. Jim sits down, and then a little kid between him and Arnie, and then I go back and get a seat on the aisle three rows back, or two rows back. And uh, then Arnie sees a dad come by, and it's his kid. And Arnie says, oh, I'll just give you my seat. That was the start of the process. He gave him his seat. And so anyway, long story short, I try to witness the guy next to me. He throws a pillow over his face and goes to sleep. But Pastor Jim is leading this guy to the Lord the whole trip, man. And so I'm back there interceding for him, interceding. We're in the airport, and this other guy is in there, and he's got a Raiders shirt on. And I go, hey, you like the Raiders? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Stuff started opening. I told him how to get saved. I said, all you have to do is ask the Holy Spirit to come into your body, on and on. Isn't this crazy good way to live? If like one person, the power of one person. Just going out of your way. And number three, and I got about five minutes, so hang on, three. One person can serve as a confirmation to something God is trying to say to you. One person. Uh, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs, and then look at Matthew 20.28. 20, this is just as the Son of Man did not come to serve to be served, but he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And then 1 Peter 4 and 10, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of the grace of God. 
We've got to come to a place where we'll be Jesus to other people. No joke. I mean, I, this, is, this is a God story you haven't heard. But right now, I'm, I'm pastoring in, in Vegas, and, and I was in Ventura, and Bakersfield, and I'm just going all over. I was getting at 1 in the morning, 2 in the morning, and no joke, this just happened a while back. I've come in from Las Vegas to Ventura at 1 in the morning, and I'm so tired. I'm beat up and stuff, and I go to bed at 1 in the morning. I wake wide up at 4 o'clock, and God is talking to me, and I know it's him. He says, you're going to die. I said, what? He said, you're going to die. He said, you've had three cancers. You're going to die. And this is the way he put it. He said, every human body has to have rhythm, a heartbeat, rhythm. And I said, you have no rhythm. You're, you're all over. You're, you're one o'clock in the morning, two, sleeping three hours, four. And not, I'm not kidding. From four to six, God told me, he said, you're going to die if you don't change right now. You're going to die. I want you around. You're going to die. And I said, well, God, I'll start flying. He said, no, you don't get it, Ron. You don't get it. You're going to die. And I mean, it was as plain as a nose on your face. Now, get this. I, we're conversing. Four to six. You're going to die if you don't change your way. You're going to die. I go to get out of bed. Now, honestly, I flip my leg over, and my phone goes off. My phone's right here in the pillow. I grab it. It's from a lady that's not even on my roller decks at all. She's not on my deal. And here's the word she says. A man who fears God avoids all extremes. Why die before your time? That was the message. No way could it be clearer. No, that's a miracle. And this sister that wrote me this since then, she's become my prophetess. She sends me messages, and oh my gosh, it's like God's in the room when she sends them. She told me just yesterday, she said, I want to stop doing this, but God told me I'm going to continue to do it. And this lady reads me. And so we have to do that. Take out time. And then number four is one person can model Christianity for others. Philippians 3.17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. In, in Timothy, Paul says to young Timothy, he says, be an example of the believer. You won't believe the times people are modeling Jesus in front of me. And, and it's better than a sermon. Uh, we have a very influential man in our community, and a while back he, he called me and said, Pastor Ron, I have tickets to the high school playoff game tonight. You want to go? I said, yeah, I do want to go. And I said, I got my grandson with me. He said, well, I'll get him a ticket too. I said, okay. Now, this man is such a classy guy. We go to the game, and, and he knows everybody. He's talking to people. But every three minutes he goes, Josiah? Where do you go to school at? Okay. What's your favorite sport, Josiah? And then he'd go back and talk to other people. Hey, Josiah, are you enjoying the game? What's your favorite? Are you good in something? What do you want to do? And I thought, is this a class act or what? He has, in fact, he called me before he took my grandson and said, can you tell me a little about your grandson so I can talk to him? A man that influential. And I go, that's Jesus. Charlie Garcia, before he died, was the most godly man I ever knew and the most godly man I'll ever know. I'll never know one more godly. The, the bar was so high. This guy walked with God. And I would travel with him a lot, and he was always, he was always acting out a sermon for me. Like, I'd get on a bus. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And before I knew it, he knew the bus driver's name, his address, how long he'd been in the country. And, he was, and I thought, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. One day we went on vacation, and we're in L.A., and he says, Pastor Ron, where do you like to stay when you're down here? I said, well, I usually always stay at this Marriott. He said, okay, let's go there. We're on vacation. We need to stay there. 
And so we go in. They don't have any rooms. We come back out. Charlie said, what's the matter? I said, I don't have any rooms. He said, well, we'll just pray and ask God to open some up. Because this is where you like to stay, right? I said, yeah. He prayed. He said, okay, now go back in again. I go, go in again? You're kidding me. He said, no, but I knew this was a godly man. Went back. Oh, yeah, we just had two uh, cancellations. Well, we've got rooms for you. I said, you're kidding me. See, I'm telling you, we can be, we're to model this life. You know, can I say something? Benito knows this. Anybody can get up here and teach. Anybody can share thoughts. They can get on the internet and find all kinds of thoughts. But I want someone who knows how to walk with God. I want someone, I went to gym one day, guys, you, want, I want, well, you need a trainer? And I thought, no, I don't want to look like you. You're a trainer? I want somebody 65 that looks really good. That's what I want. And I want someone who knows God, knows how to walk with My last one is I'm out of time. I'm a little bit over time even. And that is one person can encourage others to keep doing what they're doing. You won't believe there's times where I just don't feel good about myself. And someone will come up to me and go, man, man, your sermon meant so much to me. You know, Pastor Ron, I heard somebody the other day that they told me this wild story. They said, God used you to die. I said, really? Really? And then when they left, I said, you know, it's people like you that makes people like me want to keep on doing what I'm doing. I've had times, yeah, I'm a pastor of a big church. There's times where I just don't even want to do it anymore. I went to Thousand Oaks to preach with Pastor Jim the other night. No joke. And he's got a Rams coach there and different people. And I'm preaching, preaching. And I thought, these people hate me. They hate me. They're looking at me like I'm weird. And I felt so down on myself. I felt like I blew it, Lord. I didn't preach right. I told the God story, and they think I'm crazy. And I even ran to my car and hid to my wife, I'll be out in the car. And then the next day, my daughter calls it. Oh, Dad, they can't stop talking about your message. Oh, and the Rams coach especially, he was really impressed. I thought, that's the guy that hated me. You said, give me dirty looks, I thought. But see, that's, that's it. We, uh, I'll set that down so I don't keep preaching. <laughs> One person can make people like even me keep doing what I'm doing. I love to hear. I, sometimes I just think I, I do horrible. And when you tell me that, that's great. And parents, you're one person, and you can change that kid's life forever. What an what a opportunity. I will tell this last story, and I'm through. In one of my books, I have a story about a little Navajo boy. He was about 13 years old. And uh, one day, he's telling the story from the third person. He says, one day, my dad came in, and he goes, uh, son, he says, you're not going to school today or anything. Pack a bag. I'm taking you somewhere. Where, Dad? Just get in the car. Packs a bag, gets in the car. His dad drives. It seemed like forever and ever. And, and he was still trying to sleep in the back seat, so he wasn't asking his dad any questions. And finally, he felt him turn off on a dirt road, and they went up a windy road. And this kid gets back up and says, Dad, where are we at? Where are we at? Says, You'll see. He pulls in front of a little, uh, a little bitty doby-like house, and out walks this really old Indian lady. And his dad says, Son, meet your grandmother, Chinoa. This is your grandmother. She's full-blood Navajo, too. And so he said, you're going to stay here three days. i got to go on a business trip, and, and I'll come back and get you. And the little boy said, well, he's telling the story. He's a grown man now. He says, man, I said, I, I'm going to die here with this old lady for three days. I, I don't want to be here. It's going to be horrible. And he said, she went and got him some porridge and sat there and started telling him stories about his great-grandfathers, his grandfather, his great-uncles, and what warriors they were. They were Navajo warriors. 
And they won wars, and they were heroes, and they risked their lives. And he was just infatuated. So the three days went by like this. And as he ends the story, he says, you know, I went on the mountain that day as a little typical 13-year-old boy. But he said, I left a Navajo Indian. That's it. The power of one. Legacy. My son told me something the other day, and I started bawling. He said, Dad, I respect you more than any man I know. He said, you led me in the right way. You led me. You taught me God. And it just broke me. We are the power of one person. My family's all in ministry now. My son-in-law pastors. My son pastors. My daughter works for the church. My grandkids all minister. Every one of them's in ministry. Every one of them. Except Ollie. She's only two. <laughs> Let's pray.